We're in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 1. All right, so verses 1 through 3 is uh, Luke's introduction here. It's a single sentence. And he takes a quick couple steps backwards to pick up where he left off in the book of Luke. So verse 1 through 3, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, until the day in which he was taken up, and after, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he had also presented himself alive after his sufferings by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So this is basically a continuation of the Gospel of Luke. This first chapter of Acts uh, summarizes the tail end of the four Gospels and kind of brings them all together. The, the last thing recorded in Matthew 28.6 was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Mark, the last thing that he left us with was the ascension of the Lord in Mark 16.19. Luke left us with the promise of the Holy Spirit in Luke 24.49. And John left us with the promise of the second coming in John 21.22. So the writer here in chapter 21 brings all of these facts together in summary as sort of a way of regrouping and relaunching the next phase in the story. So who's the writer? Because it doesn't say, I, Luke. Well, verse 1, the writer refers to a former writing. The former account I made. Luke chapter 1 verse 3 indicates that Luke was writing to a man named Theophilus. Now here in Acts 1, we see the same type of writing, the same style of writing, and an introduction to the same person as the introduction of the Gospel of Luke. It's commonly accepted that Luke is the writer of the book of Acts. So in verse 1, Luke begins by explaining why he is writing. Take a look at Luke 1, 1. I don't know why I didn't write that down right here. That's what I get for going paperless. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order the narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us. <clears throat> so it sounds very similar to this verse here. The word inasmuch means to the extent that, or considering that, or since. Many, many writings are popping up about Jesus. Can you imagine? This guy was the most famous, most popular person to walk the earth. Oh, he, was, he was God. He raised the dead. No, he didn't. He was, he was the devil. Oh, he was just a prophet. Oh, he was a saint. Well, he said he was God. Well, then he's a lunatic. So all, all of these different notions. And so Luke says, <clears throat> I was there. I'm fixing to set it straight. That word fulfilled there means, indicates that Luke believes that the prophecy was, was being fulfilled. We're seeing prophecy fulfilled with our own eyes. 
Zechariah 12, 2 through 3, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto the people all round about. And when they shall see the siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem, and in that day I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth shall be gathered together against it. (laughs) I mean, I instantly thought of Jerusalem as I sat down here. I mean, it's kind of crazy. Right, they're, they're, they're firing missiles over the border last week. And we just had, what, 20 people hop on a plane and head over there. <laughs> That's faith. A little insanity, but that's faith. I went in 98, it was a neat trip, but I remember being in the, in the, the castle in Dan, up along the northern border. And there was, um, there was two churches. It was Ron Wilkins' church from down by the beach somewhere, I forget where. And us. So we had, we had um, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 people plus that group. So there was probably about 40 or 50 of us there. And our tour guide says, shh, listen. And we stood up there and we heard. And he goes, you hear those shells going off? That's over in Lebanon. And we're like, all right, let's get on the bus. <laughs> I've seen enough. Normal. No problem. Let's go have some pie. It's a war zone. Where was I at here? I'm in the book of Acts. No, I mean here on this thing. Now here in Acts chapter 1, Luke links the two writings together. This is in effect a continuation of his gospel account. Here he references the launch of Jesus' ministry as it relates to teaching, performing miracles, and primarily the saving work of the cross. This guy Theophilus, who, who is he? No one knows. His name literally means loved by God. Luke calls him, quote, most excellent. Most excellent Theophilus. So I don't know, I'm, I'm just guessing. Pick what you want, say what you want. I'm just guessing he's probably maybe a government official or maybe a judge. You know, we say, uh, you know, in a, in a court of law, we, we call the judge your honor. So I'm, I'm just guessing something like that. Maybe he was an excellent guy. But it's likely that he wanted the straight version of what was going on with Jesus. Is he a lunatic? Is he a prophet? Is he a saint? Is, is he God? Did he really raise somebody from the dead? Did he really... Raise himself from the dead? Was it a hoax? Now verse 2 encompasses all that Jesus did, even raising from the dead, spending time on earth, after his resurrection, 
than even to the point of his ascension back to heaven. Until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. Something interesting here, Jesus gave commandments through the Holy Spirit, it says. I found that interesting because I thought it was enough for for Jesus to just say something. But here it's recorded that he gave commandments through the Holy Spirit. Got me thinking. Although Jesus is God, he is still filled with the Holy Spirit. If we expect to live a life pleasing to God, we must also be filled with the Holy Spirit. We'd be foolish to think that we don't need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but we, we can somehow like skip that step and somehow live a life pleasing to the Lord. Like in the, in the strong arm of our flesh, we can do it. I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps and, and I can be a, a good Christian. Forget it. The longer I remain a Christian, the longer I walk with God, the more crummy I realize I am. Romans chapter 8, verses 16 through 17, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we, we may be also be glorified together. The only way the commandments of God are effective in my life is if I walk in the Spirit. Otherwise, they are ineffective. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So you can kind of reverse engineer that. If you can, you can imply that, okay, if I have to walk in the Spirit so I don't fulfill the lust of the flesh, if I don't walk in the Spirit, guess what's going to happen? Luke tells us that Jesus was handing out directives to the apostles at this time. Obviously, the apostles were handpicked by Jesus. But who else did Jesus choose to belong to him? Who did Jesus choose to belong to him? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. Whosoever. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but that the world through him would be saved. So, he died for everyone. And to say that he chose some and didn't choose others would be to say that he died in vain. And we know he did not. Because the scripture says that he died for everyone, and the scripture is true. Every single word. And you can build your life on it. Verse 3 deals with the post-resurrection activity. Jesus showed up alive after his death and burial, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. 
He presented himself to his disciples, his closest friends, to those who absolutely would know that he was really alive. Peter, it's me. Thomas. Come here, put your finger here. Infallible proofs means unmistakable. There was, this guy was not an imposter. Jesus spent 40 days with, with them after his resurrection, and it says that they spoke about the kingdom. Am I known as a man who regularly speaks about the kingdom? I, I coached Little League, and we were, we were practicing yesterday in the, there was a, a team on the field next to us, and the coach, he was getting ready to, he was raking the field, and he was getting ready, getting ready for a game. And I, I, I forget exactly what we were talking about. Oh, we were talking about helping the kids, volunteering our time with the kids. And he was talking about, you know, you know, the chalk in the fields and all the extra time, and you know, we don't get paid for it. And, I, and he was just joking around. I said, yeah, man, but we got dividends in heaven. And he goes, are you sure about that? I said, that's a fact. And he's like, well, I don't know. That sure sounds nice. I wish, you know, I sure hope so. And I said, no, I'm telling you. It's a fact. And he, he kind of just walked away shaking his head. But I didn't, I didn't plan that moment. That just, that just happened. That just came out. You're on a, on a fishing boat out at Catalina Island on one of them cattle boats, and, you know, you're out there with 40 or 50 other strange guys, and a guy hooks into a 40-pound yellowtail and, and I'm patting him on the back, and I said, You're blessed! <laughs> I mean, congratulations. Uh, what, what do you want me to say? Guy's blessed. I mean, if I caught a fish, I'd be blessed. <laughs> and then I cut it into pieces and cook it and eat it, and then I'm blessed again. Am I known as a man who regularly spe speaks about God's kingdom? I remember, I'm a, I'm a <laughs> sort of steel plumbing contractor. I do other things now. But I remember I would walk into the supply house, you know, because I got to pick up a truckload of pipe and a, you know, truckload of fittings and some stuff. We're going to do it. And I, and I would remember, I, I would remember coming to the counter, you know, and the guys, you know, just a, a ragged bunch of guys at the counter and, and the guys behind the counter would say, hey, you guys can't joke like that with Daryl because he loves his wife. They used to say that and I would like, yeah, I love my wife. What are, you, what are you kidding me? Like, is that a compliment? Like, shouldn't I love my wife? But it was, it was out of the ordinary to them. To, to not have to joke about having, you know, some problem with their wives and, and that it wasn't going to fly with me. That I, that I protected my wife in that way. To me, it was, it was natural because of the work of God in me.
Is the Lord always on my mind and in my conversations with others? Colossians 3, 1 through 2. If ye be then risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth, on the right hand of God. Set your affection on the things above, not on the things of the earth. You can tell my search engine is old King James. I reckon I'll leave it that way too. Now look at verses 4 through 8. This section is going to deal with the promise of the Holy Spirit. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and to Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So, Lord, are you going to set up the kingdom right now? No, you're going to preach throughout the whole earth. Well, gee, that's going to take kind of a long time, Lord. Like, when are you setting up the kingdom? That ain't for you to know. Like, it didn't... Huh? this guy talking about? By the way, this is the second sentence. Of the chapter. So, verse 4 is a simple command given by Jesus Wait in Jerusalem for the thing promised by the Father that I told you about. The apostles' job at this point was to wait. Sit still. That's a hard thing to do, is it not? When I go on a hunting trip, or a fishing trip, there's a lot of that. And it takes me like at least a half a day to go from 100 miles an hour to zero. But it sure is nice when you can get there. Three weeks ago, I took a nap in some poison oak. Sweet. I'd do it again. I ain't kidding either. And I'm allergic bad. I, w- I went home and took a shower in paint thinner. I ain't kidding about that neither. YouTube. Everything. YouTube. <laughs> and look at man, I'm I'm good. <laughs> Smooth as silk. <laughs> That was, a, that was a whiskey slogan, wasn't it? <laughs> I still remember that. Come on, Hector. I won't hold that against you. That one just slipped out. All right. So wait. Psalm 27, 14. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. You and I must wait on the Lord. We have to wait for His response. We must wait for Him to act. We have to wait for His guidance. We we need to wait for Him to work. I'm usually like, 
fixing to do the thing and I'm praying on the way to doing the thing and I'm already engaging in the thing, whatever it is, and I'm, I ain't even said amen yet. Certainly a challenge in the society that we live in because we wait for nothing. We have to exercise our waiting muscles. I remember in my, in my apprenticeship in the construction trades, I didn't have a phone. Didn't need one. We'd get in the truck and go to the job, and job was over. We'd go back to the office, and we'd hit the answering machine, and he'd write down all the phone numbers of the people that called in that day, and we'd call them back that night, and we'd deal with it tomorrow. And that was just fine. And then the, then the pagers came along. Remember the pagers? And they'd, they'd beep. And so we would have the ashtray full of nickels and dimes and quarters. And around lunchtime, we'd stop and find a payphone, call the numbers back. And, man, we thought we were on the cutting edge. And we were. I mean, now we're responding to calls in half a day. Not anymore. You need some information, I'll have it to you in about two seconds. And I, I mean, I'm all over it too, man. Give me an image of this, give me an image of that or whatever, and boom, there it is. You know, where can I get this? Where can I get that? And bang. Okay, purchase, cards on file, Amazon Prime, deliver tomorrow. <laughs> all while I'm watching the news crazy it is crazy my kids have have never known anything different i mean they that's what they grew up with there's people spin albums again now apparently i still have some old albums like i want to get them down like play them they're making a comeback i guess Okay, back to this. Psalm 46.10 Be still, know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathens. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still. You know, that's why we, we come here. That's why we go to the retreats. That's why we come to the, the Bible studies. That's why I like to go out into the woods or out to the islands. It's it's a way to disconnect. There's no cell service up there, 10,000 feet, Angeles Crest. Just nothing but critters. I love it. Verse 5, Jesus contrasts water baptism with spiritual baptism. He said... For for John truly baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Water baptism is, is an outward ritual, excuse me, or a demonstration that is meant to act as a symbol or a sign to others of what has taken place in my heart and in my mind and in my soul of someone who has truly accepted Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. I got baptized when I was 14 years old because Grandma said it was time. And boom. Okay, cool. Didn't mean nothing to me. 
And it didn't do nothing to me. I mean, I wanted out of there. Like, what are all these people looking at? 14-year-old kid. And I get saved in 1996. November 20th, 1996, 8.15 p.m. Orchestra pit of the Universal Amphitheater, stage left, about 20 yards back. Why do I remember that? Because God changed me right then and there. But after that, I got baptized. And... We did it at the beach. We were down surfing with some friends. And I said, hey, you guys, can you guys baptize me? And they're like, yeah, sure. So we just, I started walking up and down the beach, telling people sitting on their tails, hey, we're going to have a baptism over here. They're like, what? We're going to have a baptism over here. And it's like, right over there, just check it out. And we were timing the waves, I remember. All right, in the name of the Son... And the Holy Spirit, boom, and we just, boom. It's Tony Lopez and Peter Hanegraaff. They dunked me in my wetsuit. And then we went back out surfing. But did it on public beach. I was already saved. That was for them people. It was an act of obedience. I don't know, I just wanted to do it. I just wanted to obey. Water baptism is commanded in Scripture. However, it is not a requirement for salvation. It's meant merely as an outward expression to the others of what's happened in the life of someone who's been converted to Christ. 1 Peter 3.21 The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience, Conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the answer of a good conscience. It's, it's a symbol of the old man being crucified and buried with Christ and being raised up new. If you're here and you're a Christian, you haven't been baptized yet, guess what? Get baptized. If you get, God forbid, killed today and you haven't been baptized, you'll still be in heaven and it, it don't matter. Thief on the cross. He didn't get baptized. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your, king, into your kingdom. He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't say, hang on a second. In some way, we, we need a lake. We need a pond. He, did, he didn't say that. Paul said, I thank God that I baptized none of you. Because the Corinthians were acting like knuckleheads. And if baptism was a requirement for salvation, Paul couldn't have said that. Now the baptism of the Holy Spirit is when a person is filled with the Holy Spirit, which enables the person to function in the work of ministry. Being filled with the Holy Spirit allows me to demonstrate God's love towards other. The baptism of the Holy Spirit allows a person to function and operate in their God-given gifts for the edification of the church in the building up of the saints. Baptism of the Holy Spirit allows a person to share the gospel boldly and effectively. 
Joel 2.28, And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Rafi, can you kill that air, please? Is anyone else cold? Is it getting cold in here? It's like... I think my iPad's frozen. Are we recording this? Oh, man. I thought this was just for the speakers. Okay. Rewind the last 15 seconds. Start over again. I'll talk like this. Mark 1.8, I indeed have baptized you with water, John the Baptist said, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. That's old King James for Holy Spirit. The promise that Jesus tells him here in verse 5 comes true in chapter 2. Turn one page over to the right, verse 1, chapter 2, verses 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of the rushing of a mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I bet you that was a little freaky, being there for that. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is not what, but who. The Holy Spirit's a person. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God. That word in the Hebrew is Elohim. It's the plural name of God in Hebrew. It's a tri-compound unity. And it refers to the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Genesis 1.26, God said, Let us make man in our image. What does Xavier say? He was, what was, what was God talking to the lizards? Or the horny toads? Right? He always says that one. I'm like always wanting to say these things. I've been sitting under Xavier for like 25 years. I'm like, oh man, that was, that was an Xavier thing. But it's true. Who, who was God talking to? He was talking to the other two persons of the Godhead. The Son and the Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Objects cannot be grieved. Only a living being with a consciousness can be grieved. The Holy Spirit is omnipresent. He's everywhere, always at the same time. Everywhere. He's in China right now. He's in Russia right now. He's even in Antarctica. Is there any Canadians here? I made a Canadian joke last time, and there was two Canadians sitting right over there, and they said, Hey, eh? <laughs> he's, in Can he's in Canada, too. 
John 16, 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, then I will send him to you. Can you imagine if Jesus didn't go away? We'd be in trouble. Imagine having to wait in line to talk to Jesus. Over on the Mount of Olives. Because that's where he hangs out. First of all, you've got to get on a plane. Xavier could talk to him here in about 10 hours. But he'd have to get in line and wait. Jesus is a man. And he was only able to be in one place at one time. But now we have direct access to the throne of God 24-7. That's amazing. That is an amazing thing that we can come before the throne of God every moment of every single day, no matter what time it is. No matter where we're at, no matter what we're doing. And my eyes can be open when I pray. They don't have to be closed. Verse 6, the disciples had a perpetual mentality that the kingdom was about to be set up or restored. They're remembering their history. David and Solomon and the temple and the rest of the kings. Who are these Romans? Why are they here? We want them gone. Foreign government an army making the rules and enforcing them. Imagine the horror. Imagine what it would be like here in the United States if we had been dominated by the Chinese or the Russians or the Iranians. Sharia law here in America? Can you imagine? What a nightmare. In the United States, we currently have a large group of liberal-minded citizens that want to dispose of our liberties and destroy our freedoms. And I'm not going to go on a rant for much more than about a half hour about this. <laughs> I don't understand them. They think that they're going to be able to hold on to their freedom of speech while yet disposing of the very right that allows them to maintain that freedom. It's insanity. They don't want secure borders around this sovereign nation. They think that a man can be a woman, and they think that a woman can be a man. And I honestly, I think half of them believe it. They, they somehow they block out God. And God has given them over to it so that they, I, you know, I don't know, I'm torn, man. I, you, you just got to know that deep, deep down inside, they know they're wrong. It can't be. We just kissed the Boy Scouts goodbye, didn't we? Man. They want no mention of God. They think that by disposing of the foundation that this nation was built upon, that they can create some sort of utopia. First thing you do when you buy a house is you crawl underneath there and make sure the foundation's all there. Right? Because you don't want it falling down.
unless we pass on the importance of God and our constitution to our children, the United States will soon fade into obscurity. The fact that the United States of America is mentioned nowhere in Scripture, particularly in end times prophecy, tells me that it's only a matter of time before this great nation disappears into the putrid puddle of socialism or communism. I mean, that's where it's heading. We ain't in here. Russia is. China is. Israel is. Ishmael is. They're all here, except us and Canada. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) They're all right. I mean, they got moose and elk and stuff up there, so. Sasquatch. Sasquatch, they got Bigfoot, huh? (laughs) We have got to pray for this nation. Second Chronicles 7.14 If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. When I heard Donald Trump was running for president, man, I thought it was a joke. You've got to be kidding me. Donald Trump? Let me tell you something. I'm so thankful for him right now. This nation hasn't seen a president that cares about this nation like him since Ronald Reagan. And that's a fact. Israel's fixing to make a coin with his face on it. Can you believe that? I'm with him. I'm praying for him. purpose of this nation was not so that we could walk around and say what we wanted to and carry guns. That's not what America was about. That's not what the Declaration of Independence was about, and that's not what the Bill of Rights was about. The point of this nation is so, so that we could be a free people to worship God, the God, the true God of the Bible, freely. That's why America was here. Remember these phrases. One nation under God. Do we say the Pledge of Allegiance to school anymore? I mean, we homeschool, so we do it. We got we got a flag inside and outside. I, I don't I don't reckon they do. I'm on the board of directors for our little league, and you know, at every board meeting, that group of heathens stands up, and we do the Pledge of Allegiance, and then they go get liggered up. I don't participate, but you know what? It says something about that group of people. They're patriotic still. How about in God we trust on every piece of money? The left hates it. Them liberals hate it. How about this? How about this phrase? We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They hate that too. 
the Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights and the Constitution of the United States means nothing to half the people that live here. They're burning flags. They're burning our flag. Americans burning our flags. I mean, why, why don't they just leave? Verse 7, Jesus lets his disciples know that now is not the time. They have no idea about the church or the church age. They don't know what the future holds. We don't know what our future holds. The thing to remember, the thing that matters is, is my soul saved? Last week I had the privilege of watching three ten-year-old girls get their name written down in the book of life. And I see that kind of stuff all the time. And it blows me away that God would see fit to allow a mule like me to be used in such a wonderful thing. If I think on it too long, it, it brings me to tears. But we teach our children. The primary thing is to be saved. Is your name written in the book of life? Are you pretending to play church? And I use my life as an example. Man, I had a Bible when I was 14. Grandma gave it to me. Had my name on it. I got baptized. I knew all, I memorized Bible verses. I wasn't saved. I was faking it. I had, I had never said a prayer and invited the Lord to be my Savior. And them kids over there know if you haven't invited the Lord to be your Savior, you ain't saved. I tell them straight. They got to know. And man, they want their name written in the book of life. When I, when I tell them, when, when we tell them over there, guess what, guess what just happened? What? The Lord just wrote your name in His book of life. Man, you should see them. You should see them. It's something. Nobody knows when they're going to die. Nobody knows when the Lord's going to return. What, what, was it Andre yesterday who was supposed to be the rapture? Anybody else hear this? I just heard it. He was, Andre was telling me. Yesterday was the rapture. I, was, I got scared for a second until I seen Don walking around. I was like, oh, whew. I guess we're okay. Don's still here. That, that ain't a joke. That means I believe you're a Christian, brother. <laughs> He's looking at me like, it's like I'm making a joke about me. <laughs> uh, sometimes I wonder, man, if I got left behind, that wouldn't surprise me half. Actually, it would. Because I know that my salvation is not based on my actions. My salvation is based in my faith on the saving work of what Jesus did on the cross. It doesn't mean that I don't strive to abide and take His grace for granted. 
But it was a gift, and there ain't nothing I can do to earn it. As Jesus says here and also elsewhere in Scripture, these things are not for us to know. Matthew twenty five thirteen. Watch therefore ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. First Thessalonians five two for for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Now, the context of that scripture is judgment and tribulation. Okay, I don't plan to be around for that. But the rapture, my death. When he pours out his judgment on this earth, when he makes his return to this earth, no one knows except the Father. Verse 8, now the Lord shifts their attention back to the business at hand. He says, but, which is a sharp contrast, and they asked, Lord, will you? He said, no, but you have work to do. He, 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 he spins them back around and sets them back on course. In order to do this, they will need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, according to verse 5. Here Jesus, Jesus calls it something else. He says, the Spirit will come upon you. Literally, settle on top of you. Did any, was anybody here four or five years ago when Xavier did his, his most recent series on the Holy Spirit? Took him about a week. Get it. It's in there. It's probably on a, on a flash drive now. Probably one of the topical studies. Xavier goes deep into being filled with the Spirit and being baptized with the Spirit. Those two different, the distinguishing factors between those two experiences. It's, it's great. I recommend it. It was an eye-opener for me. There's two different ways that the believer experiences the Holy Spirit. First way is, is at the moment of salvation, God fills an individual with the Holy Spirit that enables the individual to then understand the things of God. I remember the morning after I got saved, I, I sat on the end of my bed and I opened up my Bible and I began to read Matthew and I was like, oh my goodness. I'd never heard the voice of God before. It was like, like I'd been in the desert starving for water for a week and I was dried out and I couldn't stop drinking water. That's what it, like the Bible was to me. I was like, oh my gosh. And I just, it was alive for the first time. That was the Holy Spirit illuminating the scripture, giving me the understanding. I could understand it now. I mean, there was no pictures in the Bible, right? It's like, yeah, man, this is a boring book. He enables the understanding, such as His Word and prayer and the work of ministry. This is uh, the Holy Spirit for our daily living, okay? filled at the, the time of salvation. Romans chapter 7, verse 6, But we are now delivered from the law that being dead, wherein we, we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letters. We're serving in the newness of spirit. Romans 8.11 But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwelled in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwells in you. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in you. Romans 8.16 The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. 
Now, the second way is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. For example, we see here uh, in chapter 2 where they received special power that came upon, upon them uh, at the day of Pentecost that we read earlier. Many times the baptism of the Holy Spirit is accompanied by the gifts of the Spirit, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, extraordinary faith, teaching, speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, depending on if it's private or public setting. We don't see too much speaking of tongues around here at this church. Because if you're speaking in tongues, it better be real and it better be up to God and there better be someone to interpret it. Because I've been around a couple of times when someone lashed out in tongues and Xavier said, okay, that's fine. Who's going to interpret? And he stood there and waited. And then someone gave this interpretation and he said, nope. Let's move on. And he explained why. It was the flesh. Ain't nothing wrong with the gift. It's real. It's legit. But most of the time, that's exercised in private. Because it can, it can freak people out, especially if it's done wrong. I ain't got it. I wish I did. I think it would be awesome. This is where the Holy Spirit comes upon a person, and there's certain times for certain reasons or certain tasks. And this is typically associated with being filled with the power for supernatural witnessing and extraordinary work. By the way, every Christian has at least one gift. If you're a Christian, you have a spiritual gift. At least one. Probably more. And your gift is not for you. It's for the body. My gift is to be exercised for the edification of this body. It's not for me to hoard or to hang on to or go home and play with or whatever. It's for me to come to a church and, and exercise my gift. My first gift was sharpening pencils. Like 50 of them at a time. I ain't kidding, man. That was the gift of help. Right? And then I got to, I got to run a photocopy machine. Right? And then I picked up a guitar, and I played, and some guy had a guitar. I'm like, oh, let me check that out, because I was an old, like, heavy metal. You know, I was an old rocker. And I think I played, a, like, an E-Power chord, and this guy's like, oh, that's it, man. You're doing the nursery with us. You know, next thing you know, they're dragging me into to worship ministry. I was scared the first time I stood in front of a group of kindergartners. I was, I was freaked out. Cotton mouth and everything. I was like, they're looking at me. They're like, yeah, come on. You know, I remember, oh, God, <laughs> boogers and diapers and everything. It was like, by the way, that's why I still do it. You can't, you can't beat it, man. Romans 12, 6, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. 1 Corinthians 12, 4-11, Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of, of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Okay? In English, not King James Old English, you have a gift, it's for everyone else. 
Guess what Xavier's gift is? Teaching. Man, Xavier, he's like a machine gun, isn't he? He's a pop, 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 pop. You listen to the radio, and the guy's like giving this, you know, really nice illustration. I'm like, come on, man, come on, man, change the channel, you know, like. Give me something, man. It's hard to sit under anybody else's teaching for me because it just seems so kind of slow. and You know, I don't know. That's just me. I'm used to that, you know, just getting hammered with, with the truth and the, the Greek and the Hebrew and the, the context, verse by verse, word by word, every day. That's, that's what I grew up on here. By the way, when I got saved in November 20th, 1996 at 8.15 p.m., it was a Thursday night, a car pulled up to, to my first Sunday here, that Sunday with the guys that took me down to the crusade, and we came in, and that was when we had 7.30 a.m. services, and I remember sitting in about the third row back, and Xavier came out, and he said, all right, we're going to be in the Song of Solomon. And I was like, okay, I don't know what that is. And then he started, he started preaching, and I was like, that's in the Bible? <laughs> Well, he sure is. Say, man, can you pick me up next week? <laughs> this is cool. And Brian Hutchings was playing a, a, a sunburst Stratocaster with a distortion pedal. Man, I was like, really? Is, is this legal? <laughs> you know, it wasn't some old lady in the corner with a pipe organ. You know, that's what I was used to. An older lady. That, did I say old? <laughs> oh, man. I only have like 18 more pages of notes here, so we're almost done. As Christians, we need both the filling and the baptism of the Holy Spirit if we want to be effective in bringing the lost to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Jude calls it pulling them out of the fire. Save others with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the, spotted by the flesh. Jude one twenty three. Now verse 9 through 11 deals with Jesus' ascension to heaven. Verse 9 would seem to indicate that the disciples were able to watch Jesus sort of just float away. Unlike the rapture, which in Greek is called harpazo, which is a violent snatching away, the blink of an eye... The world will not know where the Christians went. We are going to disappear. And I reckon I'd like to be in that group. <laughs> That'd be kind of cool, right? Like, like I didn't die. I just... Whoosh. Hey, Lord. I mean, that sounds like awesome. If I could pick, that would be... I would go in the rapture. The blink of an eye. They won't be able to say, oh, we watched them float into the clouds. You know, a million people just floated away. They're not going to be able to say that. It's going to be a microsecond. Now, I believe the Lord floated away slowly enough to be observed. So that those who witnessed it would know where he went. It wouldn't be like they were talking to Jesus and... Hey, man, where'd the Lord go? I don't know, man. He just disappeared. He was right here. I was about ready to hand him a piece of bread. And he just disappeared. No. 
He went, he went, I don't know how slow he went or how fast he went, but it says they watched him. There was no question where he went. He went up into that cloud. It wasn't a sudden vanishing, leaving them wondering where to go. And it came to pass, Luke 24, 51 through 53, that while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. So verses 9 and 10 fit between Luke chapter 24, verses 51 and 52. Kind of fills that little gap. Verse 10, they must have stood there for a while looking up. I reckon I would have too. He's like, you know, maybe looking at one another. Is he coming back down? You see, I think, yeah, I think I see him. I'd be like, yeah, I think I see him. I'd be lying. Yeah, I see him. There's a, there's a deer right over there. God sent two angels with a message. Could have been the same two angels that were in the tomb after his resurrection in John 20, 12, 40 days earlier. There was two men in white robes sitting in the tomb. Here's two men in white robes. Can't teach it dogmatically, but it wouldn't surprise me. But God sent them just in case anyone wasn't clear on just exactly what happened. He's gone, guys. He'll be back. Now get to Jerusalem. The key fact. Jesus is coming back to this earth. Zechariah 14.4 His feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east and on the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall be moved to the north, and the other half toward the south. Luther called John 3.16 the heart of the Bible, a gospel in miniature. It's so simple that a child can understand it, yet it condenses the deep and marvelous truths of redemption into a few pungent words. God, the greatest lover, so loved the greatest degree, the world, the greatest number, that he gave the greatest act, his only begotten son, the greatest gift, that whosoever the greatest invitation believeth the greatest simplicity in him, the greatest person should not perish the greatest deliverance, but the greatest difference have the greatest certainty everlasting life, the greatest possession. Behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to every man according to his work and what it shall be. Father, we thank you for your love and your goodness. We thank you for your word. We thank you for saving us, showing us right from wrong. We ask for the continued wisdom, the continued instruction for our lives. Give us the desire to obey that, to walk according to that. Again, bring our people home safe. Bless the rest of our evening. Keep us home safe. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.